Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. If you purchase the complete collection before October 24th, you can get a big discount. Check your inbox for an email from carl at pwop.com for the code, or just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And Kendra Havens is here. We're going to be talking to her in a little bit about Docker tools and all that good stuff that you may or may not know about. I hope you don't, because otherwise, what's the point? (laughs) (laughs) How are you, man? I'm good, you know? No rest for the wicked. We're having a crazy fall. Lots of shows. Yes. And episode 1500 is upon us. It is. Coming right up here in seven shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we almost think we get this thing figured out. Yeah. I have something from an old friend for Better No Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, this being show 1493, go to 1493.pwop.me. Jimmy Bogard. Ah, Jimmy. My my case study for everybody who accidentally got into open source. Yep. <laughs> Way back in September, September 27th, he released Respawn. Oh. And Respawn is a small library to help reset your database to a known state before tests. Oh, interesting. It's just one line of code. Just reset it. Wow. Boom. And somebody left, this was interesting, somebody left a comment that it sounds very similar to SQL Server snapshots. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't you just use that? And he did some tests, and a snapshot in his test in the same database restored in 470 seconds, and Respawn restored it in 5.8 seconds. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and when you're doing continuous integration, you just don't want to spend any more time than you absolutely have to. There you go. And the, and it, this is all test data. You don't care that much, you know? Yeah, right. You just want to you'd want it consistent every time you test. But I also like that one line of code so that it's just there, done, next. You know, one more thing you got to do. I like it. Jimmy Bogard, man. Whole pile of awesome right there. Well, and and the best kind in the sense that here's a, someone building software, trying to be as efficient as possible, and just coming up with tools to help all of us be efficient. And he happens to like good scotch. So there you go. <laughs> but then don't we all? Then, then again. What you got for us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1408, which we recorded back in February 2017 with Stephanie Locke when we were talking about Docker with databases, which, you know, are two things that generally don't mix together particularly easily. So the conversation, as you recall, was complicated. Just like, all right, you can have your engine in the container, but you want to store your data elsewhere and sort of the rules around all of that. And Manio had this comment where he said, at one point you asked, what is the point of having your database in a container? And you talked about the multi-tenant environment. Mm -hmm. But for me, the biggest reason for using container is how simple it is to install and configure an application. Yeah. I don't have to worry about it not working correctly with my operating system because it comes with its own or more relevantly, it keeps an extraction from it. Yeah. But like you said, for the most part, it's also very easy to just use a SaaS data store like Azure SQL. Yeah. Though I feel having your own app and database on the same server and the same local network is way faster in this scenario containers help with all the security benefits. Yeah. Yeah, I also like the database in a container model when you just want a self-contained solution 
on your workstation or even in your laptop because it's so much lighter. Remember we used to build those tank laptops? Okay, maybe it's just me mm-hmm. with the four VMs running in it. They're a heck of a lot easier to do with containers than it yeah. ever was with, with Hyper-V. So uh, I certainly appreciate the, the, that sentiment of just being able to create a close-to-production-architected solution that is self-contained. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Very good. Manio, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We respawn them. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That's not creepy. Not at all. Let's introduce our guests. I'm very excited to have Kendra Havens here. She is a program manager on the .NET team. Just reached her one-year anniversary at Microsoft. Woo! Yeah. Woo-woo! In that time, her main focus areas were the .NET Getting Started Experience, .NET and Docker, and the Unit Testing Experience. What are you guys doing with Docker over there? Oh, my goodness. So many things. So Docker is a software that can completely wrap your code in a complete file system that contains everything it needs to run. Yeah. That's the two-line explanation. So it's got your file system and your runtime and all of the libraries that your app would need. And you know exactly what all of its dependencies are. And you explicitly list it out in a Docker file. Yeah. That's a brief explanation. Yeah, we like to call containers as sort of the configurability of an operating system, but the lightweightiness of a process. Yeah. So it's like a really, really lightweight virtual machine. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's trying to always come up with good metaphors and good description words, but I I do like to kind of describe it as the next evolutionary step of the virtual machine. Mm. Even though people are like, but it's not a virtual machine. It's so yeah. much better. And right. I'm like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's an app. We agree. No, really. <laughs> you know, I put my DevOps hat on right away and say, it's virtual machines with configuration as code in mind, mm. which VMs never had. I and like it. They're just yeah. they're just programs. They're not processed. Yeah. They're not big, big things. You don't need to have monster machines to run them. Yeah. But they have an origin in Linux, which I think throws a certain number of people off as well. How Windows-friendly is Docker these days? Very Windows-friendly. So I can get into our .NET images, and our .NET Core images obviously can run on inside of Linux containers as well as Windows containers. Mm -hmm. Right. But we do have full .NET framework images, like even back to 3.5 and 4.6.2 and 4.7, and those run on Windows Server Core, so that's the base OS, mm-hmm. and you can run full .NET Framework apps in containers. Nice. Yeah, so some of the exciting things that we're, I guess, publishing from the .NET team are both our .NET Core images and our .NET Framework images. And I'm actually looking on uh, Docker Hub at the .NET images, and yeah, there's Linux AMD 64 tags, Windows AMD 64 tags. Like, they, hmm. there's all of them here. All the stuff. And ARM32 for people doing Raspberry Pi development. Wow. Wow. Containers on my Raspberry Pi. I love it. Yeah. And you can test an app in a container and see if it runs in that runtime environment before you actually deploy it to a physical device, your app. So it can be really helpful. Where do .NET and Docker cross paths these days? Well, I guess all over the place. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
a lot of people are trying to dockerize their stack, including a .NET stack especially. Mm-hmm. It makes it a lot easier for developers and ops people and DevOps people, people who are both, to kind of modernize. Uh, Docker has a modernized traditional apps program, and they have a very big focus in .NET workloads, I suppose. Elton Stoneman has a ton of awesome webinars and documentation. He even wrote a book about dockerizing your .NET apps. Hmm, great. And we had him on the show, I think, about a year ago. Yep talking about dockerizing existing .NET apps. Yeah, yeah, that'd be the Modernized Traditional Apps Program, I think, yes. or if it was called that back then. But uh, yeah, I think that's what he called it. Yeah, it's it's definitely the idea of being able to take your legacy app and put it into a container without actually having to touch the code, which yeah. is extremely attractive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it seems unlikely. We always think of containers as so lightweight and stuff. And most of my .NET apps, I would not call that. Can you really just take whatever you've currently got and stick it in a Docker? Yes. It it does depend on um, how your app was written and and what its dependencies are as far as, like, does it call into weird places in the Windows registry that we didn't cover in our Windows Server core? Or the GAC, yeah. Yeah. Images. It's a little harder for when your apps need to be very stateful. Right. Right. And it's... Funny, so the Windows Server core image, that's our base OS for the full .NET framework. In the container world, it is a pretty heavy weight image, I guess. Yeah, I bet. So I think it's a little less than 10 gigs uncompressed. So that's just the download size. It expands out to larger than that. So that's a lot. Mm. But one of the benefits is you download that once and because of... The efficiency of containers, you can you download the image, but you can spin up multiple containers off of that one image on your hard drive. So I could have 10 containers running off of that image when it's still, yeah. I only downloaded it once. That's cool. Yep. And I think it's one of the fundamental truisms of the container model is this, you don't need copies of OSs over and over and over again. Yeah. So in the container world, even though that's a gigantic image, it's still better than a VM <laughs> and it's much faster to spin up and it can be used more efficiently. The .NET team is also really avid early adopters of new Docker features, I guess, that they release into the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So some of the things we geek out about are we were some of the first people to be publishing uh, multi-arc images on are on Docker Hub. Part of that is because I think the Docker Hub build infrastructure didn't support it, but we have been rolling our own images for a while. What's a multi-arc image? Yeah, what is that? Yeah, that's an image that you can pull one tag and based on the setting that your Docker client is in, it will pull the appropriate base OS. So when you download Docker for Windows, I think you're automatically in Windows containers mode, but you can switch to Linux containers as well. Right. And so you can switch your Docker client back and forth between those two. The .NET images can automatically sense uh, with their manifest what setting your Docker client is in and pull the appropriate one. So this is really useful because you don't have to change your Docker file based on what mode your client is in. It will just work. Hmm. Okay. That's cool. It's quite an interesting feature. Another one we added to we were super excited about is multi-stage build. 
So all of our built infrastructure has moved over to multi-stage build, just like internally and how we build and produce the images that we publish, as well as our samples. We outline what you can do with multi-stage build. So Hmm. multi-stage build is the idea that inside of one Docker file, you can have multiple from lines. So you can pull from multiple different base OSs. This is super helpful for .NET development because we have both SDK and runtime images. So the SDK images have all of the build tools that you need, and then the runtime is much, much slimmer. And it contains everything that your app would need to run, which is much less than what your app needs to build. If I'm following you here, Kendra, that means that when I build on my dev machine, it'll automatically grab the SDK version so that I have all that instrumentation and stuff. And when I build to my production machines, I'm just going to use the lighter weight one that has only what's necessary to run? Yes. And you can do it all within one Docker file. Right. So the first line would be pulling from the SDK image and it'll build everything and you can publish within that image. And then you can copy your published output into the next stage of the container and produce a runtime image. And nice. that's what you would, right. in the end, push to your production machine. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's very powerful because I've been in the situation where you have a build script for dev and you have a build script for production. And as soon as you have two, one of them is always wrong. Yes, we had configured, yeah, we just had a series of PowerShell scripts doing this for us before. Right. And the fact that Docker noticed that we weren't the only ones doing it too. Um, I think Golang was doing sort of similar scripting in order to solve this problem. Mm. And when Docker introduced it into their product, it really is able to benefit the whole ecosystem, which was just super cool. Yeah, it's, it, it is very much a DevOps tenant, this one source of the truth. And so the, the fact that you have this one build pipeline that's true for everybody just means fewer mistakes. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we we geek out about new features that come out in Docker uh, quite a bit. And you, you keep saying we. How are you guys using Docker internally? Yes. Oh, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about next. <laughs> how did you know that, Richard? I'm a clever man. Have you met me? I'm a very clever man. <laughs> Yeah, so we talk about how to help customers dockerize all of our apps, but we're definitely doing so internally. So cool. the actual .NET Core product, all of our Linux builds, which we build it all the time, all of our Linux builds build in containers, hmm. not VMs. And we actually did some math there. It probably saves us at least $6,000 a month in pure like server time uh-huh. uh, running it. Wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it's not bad. And I, and I imagine it's faster, too. Oh, absolutely. And we also estimated it saves us, oh, gosh, I think it was like 44 dev days a year and 45 uh, ops days per year of just... That's a lot of money. Now, I'm just thinking about how much coffee isn't getting drank because you, you kick off the build with VMs. You have time to go get a coffee and come back. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a coffee break scarcity soon. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's, everybody hold on to their cups. (laughs) Right. It goes too quickly. You're going to have to start delivering coffee because you're building too fast. Yeah. So what other kinds of projects are you guys using Docker for? There is also an initiative within uh, MSIT. We've identified 2,500 legacy apps that we just use internally at Microsoft. And yeah, and we are Dockerizing them. 
Wow. There is actually a, there was a webinar on it. I tweeted about it a little while ago, but I can link back to the YouTube video that Docker did with some of our MSIT guys. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure people would like to see that. And, and it is, you know, we keep forgetting, I think, times that Microsoft is just a large corporation and they have a ton of internal software like yeah. everybody else does. Right. That's may or may not be poorly organized and greatly benefit from a refresh. That's <laughs> oh, just crazy talk right there. I don't know what you mean. I spent a fair part of time working with enterprises like that and doing an app inventory, just trying to figure out all of the software that an organization over a couple of thousand people uses on a given day with version numbers. It's thousands, just thousands of apps. Yeah. It's it's not a trivial thing to kind of nail that down and, and to have some sense of control over it, to have some sense of the security around it. Like these are hard problems and, mm. you know, there's no way around uh, just having to deal with that. It's interesting to think about them being in containers because I think the vast majority of them, they live in VMs right now. Oh, for sure. So to have them in the containers just to be more efficient. I actually have also done, just on a side note, I've done lunches internally, um, just talking about containers and sharing enthusiasm and benefits and basically everything, just trying to repeat and share what I learned at DockerCon. It's an odd sort of internal evangelism mm. practice, but the SharePoint team sounded really interested, which is super cool. And they've been diving in to see how they can use containers. SharePoint, big. Docker, small. Hmm. <laughs> right. Hmm. On the other hand, SharePoint tends to come in unique little pieces that are somewhat distributed. So having them in containers mm. is not that bad an idea. No, it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It almost makes you wonder if we could get to a place where Microsoft starts shipping those enterprise products as containers. Yeah. I have a clarification. Just because you're dockerizing internal applications doesn't mean you're necessarily getting rid of all the VMs either. Like Docker apps tend to still live in vms yeah yeah definitely this is me with my it hat on right it's like i still like the machine portability that i'm not dependent on any given server or anything like that so being mm -hmm. able to shift the vm around just because it has but it has docker containers in it yeah that's a common scenario hopefully with um some of the things we're developing such as azure container instances you will never actually be interacting with a vm all you will know is that a container is somewhere up in the cloud and you have you know a dozen containers up there and they can all interact with one another and we'll kind of start to encapsulate what vms they're running on and and all of that sort of optimization we can i like that thinking too that then the app thinks about the container, but VMs are owned by operations. You don't think about that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we can kind of optimize man behind the curtain kind of things <laughs> is, is what VMs might become. Are we still dealing with two species of, of Windows containers, uh, the Hyper-V container and the, the Windows container? Yeah, I would call it. Well, I think they would all run in um, Hyper-V, but we do have two different... I guess, flavors, which would be Nano Server Core versus right. Windows Server Core. Mm. So Nano Server is a much more lightweight uh, version of Windows Server Core, and it's meant to sort of be our runtime operating system. Right. Uh, my experience with Nano Server is you're going to find out if you really run 64-bit.net or not. Right. Because 
because it only supports 64-bit. And, and apps that I thought were 64-bit running on a 64-bit version of regular Windows server were still making calls to 32-bit drivers and things, mm. and it just worked. And when you dropped it in nano server, it dies. And then you find out oh boy. you were missing this driver. You did not have that configured correctly. Like right. one of the best web apps I've ever worked on, getting it to run on nano server made the best version of it. But it's just like you learn stuff yeah. when you go through that process. Wow. That's really interesting that it kind of helps you realize what was what it was calling into. Wow. The brilliance of Windows on Windows is that you don't have to care whether it's 32-bit or 64-bit. Mm. The downside is the 32-bit drivers aren't necessarily faster. Often they're not as secure because all 64-bit drivers have these really tough requirements for their for their certification. So, yeah, getting to pure 64-bitness on something the only way I've really found to do it has been pump it through nano server because nano hmm. server just won't run anything 32 bit. It isn't there. It'll just fail. Yeah. Wow. I actually, I'm actually surprised. I've heard about a hundred different like benefits of containers and I don't think this has come up before. <laughs> like people should be talking about that. <laughs> it's nano server, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, you can run nano server bare metal that way and install an app on it. You're going to get the same effect that it's, it's just nice to have it in a container so that when you screw it up, you can tear it down and rebuild it very easily. Is it time to talk Visual Studio? Uh, yeah, I think so. I definitely I definitely want to add a nano server slide to DockerCon presentations or something like that, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can move on. Yeah, so Visual Studio has some pretty sweet Docker tools. You can look up tutorials on docs.microsoft.com slash Visual Studio. So you can actually, in Visual Studio on .NET projects, you can right-click on the project and select Add Docker Support. We also have a bunch of new, just file new project templates that have a checkbox that you can enable Docker support. Clicking those will drop in a Docker file into your project of what we think you need, and as well as generating a Docker Compose project. So that will help the Visual Studio debugger hook into the container so you can actually F5 and set breakpoints in yeah. a container. Nice. Very nice. No small feat. So yeah, we've that. been doing a lot of work on getting the perf really good. Again, for if you're trying out this for a .NET full framework app for the very first time, I just want to point out patience is, is going to be helpful because if you've never pulled that image before, it is like a 10 gig image. Right. But after that, it will run very, very quickly. That's always a fun demo to give how, how quickly people can spin up. And it's as if you're F5ing through a VM because it's a completely contained environment, yeah. which is just awesome. It's new. Yeah. Yeah. So am I able to actually step line by line through code and it'll hop between containers and just show me the code execution in each one? Like, yeah. Wow. So you're quick enough keeping those connections to each of those instances. Yes. They're just, they're just going to be separate panes in Visual Studio, even though they're actually literally connecting to different instances. I think that's so cool. But that's really just another spin on process to process communications isn't it totally yeah yeah you're exactly right sure. which in theory we've had solved for a long time but docker is in, introduces a new layer to that yeah a much better layer than memory mapped files or mail slots going <laughs> back or or uh, wcf debug log files oh my gosh writing to the console dot net remoting <laughs> popping <laughs> message boxes i'm giving myself chills wait 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 there's another one what uh what is it send text oh yes. boy yeah 
<laughs> All these horrible things we had to do because we were running on more than one machine. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, that's our, our multi-container debugging uh, functionality. I think the most common demo, you can see more on, on Channel 9 and uh, just look for containerizing apps or Docker or in Visual Studio. And it's usually a web app and you have a separate project that's a web API and you can hit both of them as you set breakpoints and, and go through it. Nice. Very cool. So, Add Docker support. Yeah. Couldn't get any easier. VS Code also has a very cool extension for Docker. Yeah. Uh, that's been wonderful to use. So it can actually list out your containers and there's very easy commands. It has a cool command palette that is all of your, you know, most used Docker commands, which I just find it's very, very helpful. So there's still parts of you can F5 through a container in Visual Studio and do a lot of that, but it is also you, you still need to go back to the command line for a lot of things. We didn't want to encapsulate all of that right now. Uh, via, the VS Code extension makes all of those commands right at your fingertips, which I just find super helpful. Awesome. And I guess that reflects the, the philosophical differences between Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code, right? That yes. Visual Studio is very much, okay, you're in the IDE, all things come to the IDE, live happily in this space. Where VS Code folks seem to want individual pieces that they run separately, scriptally, uh, yeah. you know, and get to pick and choose exactly the parts they want. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of uh, rectifying those differences between trying to encapsulate command line tools within Visual Studio is definitely something, it's definitely a place that we can explore more, I think. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot to do there, but I also appreciate just that, that there are different styles. People want to work in different ways. Oh, definitely. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to tell a joke that's so not funny I can barely contain myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the puns. Boom, boom, boom. There you go. <laughs> Jokes as code. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. And you can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. And learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Paulo Soriano. Oh, congratulations, Paulo. Congratulations, Paulo. Paulo just won the D-Experience subscription of Big Pile of Awesome from DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club selected at random. However, you have to sign up to win. And Kendra, we also like to ask our guests, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, boy. 
Uh, first, I would definitely buy a Surface Book. Yeah. Because, oh my gosh, the keyboards. Yes. Are like velvety. Mm. Oh, so good. Um, mm. <laughs> I also have a lot of my coworkers using them, and I am so jelly. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, awesome. Then probably I can keep going, right? Cause yeah, sure. That's three total. grand. You're, okay. you know, fully loaded. So you've got money to spend still. Right. So then a DSLR and definitely GoPro because I'm obsessed with like going and taking pictures of things. Well, yeah. a DSLR and a GoPro, like you're thinking a Canon or a Nikon? When you talk about? Uh, probably a Canon. Okay. I, I like but you more now. <laughs> I passed the test. Close. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and a GoPro? Because you need something small. Yeah. You need a way to take a picture of you taking a picture? <laughs> yes, always. You got to have something strapped to your head at That's all times, it. you know. It's the meta selfie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's an Instagram channel right there. Just taking pictures of people taking pictures of themselves. I'm so confused. <laughs> I always wanted to do the introverts uh, Instagram. And it's just pictures of people's shoes. <laughs> it, well, maybe just pictures of my shoes. Then I'll do the extrovert one. I want to take pictures of other people's shoes. That's right. There you I go. would totally follow that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, dude, time for some new shoes. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> Shut up. All right. You're still not out of money. Anything else? Oh, yes, actually. <laughs> new shoes? Um, so not, not my own shoes. Um, I've, I've really wanted to play around with various uh, solar panels because oh, yeah. I see a ton online and there's some like flexible ones and I want to see how much uh, power I can generate and if like it's enough to totally run my laptop while I'm camping or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Or just like reading light and stuff. So and I am obsessed with the Instagram van life hashtag. Mm -hmm. So I want to see you know, how, how much power I can get while camping and reading lights and all of that. Do some experiments. The combination solar panel and um, LED light is pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, because LEDs Ooh. take so much less power. But I've actually ordered, and I think I could only get this off Alibaba, but there might be another one uh, on Amazon. It's a it's a phone charger that's a battery pack with a solar panel on a hmm. solar panel on the top. Ah, I think I've seen So that. it essentially charges itself with the sun and then you charge your phone with it. Nice. Years and years ago, I got from Microsoft as swag, a battery pack with a solar panel on it. Ah, cool. Uh, which I'm pretty sure I left in an airport lounge somewhere years later. Ah, it's a shame. As it happens. But you know, at noon on a perfectly clear day on the equator, one square meter of solar panels can get you about a thousand watts of power. And Carl's not surprised at all that I would know this because these are the sort of stupid things that I know. <laughs> so uh, the reality, of course, with a battery pack is there's so much power in it, the solar panel doesn't even come close to being able to really charge it. It's just a little bit of power, really. Like, yeah, the panels need to be big. Yeah. Well, look at this. Here's one on Amazon from Nectech. That's N-E-K-T-E-C-K. Solar charger, 10,000 milliamp hours, rain resistant, dirt, shockproof, dual USB port, portable charger battery with high efficiency sun power solar panel backup power pack, all for USB supported devices. For all USB supported devices. There you go. Yeah. And it's 26 bucks for if you have Prime. There Sweet. you go. Now, it's, it's probably months to actually charge that battery from empty. Yeah, maybe. With the solar power. I mean, just when you, you think about. 10,000 milliamps, that's 100 watts worth of power and takes a long time to actually get that much power into that thing. So, mm. Mm -hmm. 
It's a nice idea, but you'll find you need more solar panels than you thought. Probably right. Yeah. But that's okay. They're cheap. Yeah. They're cheap now. Yep. They used, didn't used to be, but they are now. Yeah. And some of it might just be like in between campsites because some campsites do have outlets. Yeah. So. And the big thing is when you're not using it, when you're hiking around and, you know, just traveling, the fact that the sun's there all the time charging stuff does add up. <laughs> I mean, I'm in Seattle, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not that. Is there rain powered charging systems? Can we do that? <laughs> I don't know. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm in Vancouver. It's the same up here. Oh, yeah, I guess. And just, just before we leave this topic, somebody left a comment on this particular thing on Amazon that I get five solid recharges on the iPhone in full sun. If I keep it pointed right, it will recharge in about 36 hours. Yeah. Sounds, yeah. sounds feasible. But that's, what is that? 36 hours of sunlight? Nobody's yeah. in the sunlight for 36 hours. How does that yeah. happen? Well, you can be, well, if you're on the North Pole in July. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is there's not a lot of trees that get in the way. <laughs> Just if you see a shadow, that's a polar bear. Watch out for them polar bears. <laughs> that's it. Okay. So we were talking about Visual Studio tools, Docker tools for Visual Studio. Do we turn over every stone there? Uh, I think so, yeah. So where do folks get started with uh, with Docker? Yeah, that that. That's a very good place to start. Um, so you could start in Visual Studio because we kind of have pre-baked, you know, uh, project templates and all of that. If you are more looking to get started on the command line with uh, Docker Basics, then you can go to, we have a .NET Docker samples repo on Docker Hub, and all of the source code is hosted on GitHub. So that's just github.com slash .NET slash .NET Docker samples mm. with hyphens in between the words. Those are super helpful. Those are like simple. I think we have an yeah we have an ASP.NET Core as well as a console and dev and different samples for different kind of projects that you would want to do. Mm. Do we need to explain Docker Hub to folks that haven't spent time with Docker? Because I think we I, we sure. mentioned it right off the bat, and it's sort of a presumption. Yes, Docker Hub, DockerHub.com is, oh no, sorry, it's actually hub.docker.com. That's right. But it is very similar to GitHub, I guess, for, except instead of pushing code, you're pushing images. So you can go to Docker Hub and you can pull images and that's where all images are listed. So Microsoft right. has a, we have a Microsoft org on there and we have a bunch of different uh, repositories within the Microsoft org, and you can go to the .NET one. It's D-O-T-N-E-T. -E now, there is such a thing as having private repositories for, for Docker images, right? Yes, absolutely. So, yes, if you only want to share images within your organization, you can also do that. Kendra, when it comes to something like NanoServer, I mean, that's a copy of Windows. What are the licensing requirements around it? That is a good question. So we post our license description, I guess, on our Docker Hub repos. So you can check out if it qualifies for what you need to use it for. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so it's right there. And I'm actually looking at it and it says, you may not use this if you do not have a license for the host software. There you go. You may use this as a supplement to each validly licensed copy of the host software. So you need to own a copy of Windows Server to be able to publicly use the nano server base image and that makes sense yeah that does make sense so 
that makes a lot of sense. So I, I guess I assumed uh, too much there. But yeah, the so the Docker client that can run Windows containers can only be installed on Windows. Right. Yeah. What's nice about this is it's saying you, can, you just have to own a copy of Windows to do this. You don't have to license that particular one. So it's it's pretty easy to get through this to be compliant. There's nothing crazy complicated here. Unless you click on the detailed license information, in which case you should call a lawyer because this is long. Holy man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Sorry, the enterprise guy and me came out. It's like I'm worried about licensing. No, no, yeah. It happens every so often. Well, if you're an enterprise guy, if you just have, if you're going to be using Windows Server 2016 anyway, um, yeah. the Docker client is actually already on that. Right. Um, we ship it with it. Yeah. So. Awesome. Which is awesome. You know, it's just it's it's just part and parcel with the equation. There's nothing special happening here. Yeah. When VMs first came along in the Windows world, there was a big kerfuffle around licensing for a while, but clearly Microsoft has this figured out now. Not not doing it the hard way. Yeah. So Visual Studio is cool, but what about all the CLI people out there, the command line interface? Is there is there a starting point for that? Yeah, I would definitely start with our GitHub samples um, on Docker Hub. That would be a very good place to start. Okay. So you can really just Docker, so install the Docker client and then Docker pull Microsoft slash .NET dash samples. We'll give you a nice little console application running in a container and it'll output to your command line and it's extremely simple. And it's closer to the original concept of Docker anyway, this script driven creation of virtual instances. Yeah, we definitely wanted to make that Easily understandable on how to use .NET uh, to people who are already very comfortable using Docker, but maybe be, might be new to .NET. Mm. So approach it from a lot of different angles. Um, if you are also focused on command line tools, then I would definitely recommend VS Code and the C Sharp extension and the Docker extension. Nice. Right. And those pieces together makes it pretty easy Yeah. Uh, to do all these things. Especially because you don't have to learn all of the Docker commands or like copy them from or like look up the Docker command line references and everything that you can just hit the command key P and it'll load the command palette and list a lot of the commands, the most common commands that you'll need. So it's very helpful. And I've found Channel 9 videos of you talking about .NET Docker. Images, so. <laughs> yes, if you, if you want to get a preview of how the look and feel and uh, how it works and get a demo, then yes, absolutely go to Channel 9. <laughs> They're there. That's cool. Yeah. And you did uh, also some Visual Studio Code getting started videos. I did. That might be sort of my claim to fame or why people might know my face or my Twitter handle. They they were posted on the Donut Court website for a while. <laughs> mm. Yeah, the getting started videos were like my first project when I joined Microsoft. They were like, make this easy to use with VS Code. And uh, I realized a lot of the documentation wasn't quite like explicitly saying you needed to do things in a certain order, such as you needed to open the C-sharp file in order for VS Code to know it needed to load the debugger. Right. And yeah, there is just kind of a series of uh, things and I realized videos would probably be the best way to do this. And I made them hopefully funny. <laughs> Funnier than me, that's for sure. I <laughs> no. liked it. But uh, yeah, I'm a huge YouTube fan. So it was yeah. really, really fun making video creation, like one of my first random PM tasks. 
joining the .NET team. And you got quite a studio to do it in too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, my first videos were just in my office because I thought it was a nice homey feel. I don't know, yeah. more than the Channel 9 Studios. Right, but right. yeah, I've upgraded. Do <laughs> <laughs> you plan on doing any more? I hope so. I always plan on doing more because I'm an optimist, but <laughs> it's been a few months. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I should, I'm not, not as good as you guys. You can get into studio and do the thing. Well, you're, you're not as old as us. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I think that's a better way to put it. It takes a lot of commitment, like, Making a demo work and making sure you don't waste users' time and uh, yeah, making sure it's the right way to introduce information and everything. It's a lot of effort. Well, plus you're inside of Microsoft now. You've been drinking from the fire hose. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You understand. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask any question you're not prepared to have. Don't ask any question you're not prepared to take away in a great big bag. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, onboarding at Microsoft has been uh, really interesting, but it, it helps that I uh, interned here before, twice. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was very close to the same team. The, f the first time I was on the Roslyn teams, the compiler oh, wow. team. Nice. Mads Torgensen and all those great guys. Yes, they're absolutely amazing. Yeah. Have you guys interviewed Lucian? Lucian Wishick? I believe uh, we did, didn't we? Yeah, many, many years ago. Lucian's been around for a long time. Oh, I have a good story. My first summer, we didn't know we were, let's see, I was 20. The two other Explorer interns were 19. And uh, we didn't know what async was because we hadn't got there in our um, Java classes at, at university. Yeah. And Lucian, you know, one of the main designers yeah. of it, actually sat down for an hour just to teach us what async was. Like, instead of saying, oh, I've done a dozen tutorials online, or, like, there's people have written books on, like, the documentation of, of yeah. this language feature and, and its impact across, like, the world and stuff. He, How cool he actually is that? sat down and taught it to us. Um, so we were able to make, we were making a Rosalind analyzer that could sense any points in your code when you weren't using async correctly. Wow. That's my favorite story. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's like Anders Halsberg teaching you C sharp, right? Like the guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Behind async taught you async. That's so great. <laughs> it's like Mozart teaching someone how to play the recorder or something. Like it was just, it was so cool. It was so down to earth. But, yeah. What? But you didn't know at the time, right? Like sometime later you get that, mo that chill where you're like, holy cow, did that really happen? <laughs> Yes, it's like basically after he taught us it, we all went and like sort of Googled his name yep. to figure out. <laughs> Who was that guy? He was really nice. He was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, that was probably one of my favorite onboarding experiences. Wow. Very cool. So what's next? What's next for you? I have recently moved on to the, to focusing on the unit testing experience in Visual Studio. Okay. Uh, which is super exciting. Uh, we're able to, we, before it was sort of the test explorer and the whole experience was owned by VSTS. They've been very command line focused and they still own the test platform and server side scenarios and stuff. But recently the managed languages team was like, we are testers, please let us do testing things and, and change the testing experience because we're going to use it every single day. And uh, so we 
have we have more ability to make improvements there. So I'm trying to do a bunch of research. I've tweeted out some surveys and we're figuring out what people want to see and how we can get it into the product. And it's it's super cool. That's great. Kendra Havens, thanks so much for talking to us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a... Oh.